Well, open your Bibles with me to Acts 17. And we're, we're just going to continue what you've been doing in your study of Acts. But we're going to narrow in on one passage. And, and, you know, one of the questions that we have to ask sometimes is, why did God allow there to be a, 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 a like the third earthquake in several weeks in Herat? Why did God bring about this, uh, this great conflict in the Middle East that's taking place right now? Why are there so many people coming to this nation out of desperation? Why is God allowing there to be corrupt politicians that, that, that he can use for his purposes? You know, God, don't you know better? That's what we think. Well, why? Oh, why? We have to ask that. Well, Acts 17 gives us a clue about why he does this. And it also gives us a clue as to how Kirby Woods Baptist is going to reach the nations here in Memphis, Tennessee. Read with me, if you will. Stand, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And and I'll read these two verses. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Amen. You may be seated. How are you going to reach the nations as Kirby Woods Baptist Church? Well, it begins and ends with Jesus, doesn't it? It begins with this testimony, with your testimony, with the word of God penetrating our hearts. And we ask questions that I had to ask as a young person when I was trying to decide if all these stories that I'd been learning about as a child were true. I had to ask, is the Bible Real? Is it the truth? That's one of the questions that Latif had to ask. He searched the scripture to find out where Christians had changed the Bible. And so first we have to establish the word of God is truth. And and we, unlike other religions, have lots of evidence to prove that. All kinds of transcripts and copies. And we have to ask if we believe the word of God is true, did Jesus really live? And then as we look at history, unlike other religions, we can look at history and we can see that Jesus really was a historical person, is alive. He is seated on the throne of heaven. He is interceding on our behalf. So did he complete what was promised? Well, we look, at the promise, we look at the prophets of old. We look at what Jesus promised, what he said about himself. And as we examine, we have to begin by saying, yes, he really did come to fulfill all the prophecies of old. He is the promised one, the Messiah that's come to take away the sins of the world. He really did die for our sins. You know, Muslims agree that Jesus lived. That his birth was miraculous. Uh, where they disagree is whether he died for our sins. And that's where we, that's the point of no return. We have to acknowledge and understand, looking at scripture, looking at the prophets of old, looking at the, the miracles of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus and the life of Jesus, that he really did. And then we see witnesses in scripture and history 
that 500 people saw him after he rose again on the third day. So it's not just something written in a book. There's historical records. There's people that testified that, yes, he rose from the dead on the third day. Well, then we, ask, we have to ask this question that I've been asked in Sunday school classes when I've told about the work of Refugee Memphis. I've had people say, well, don't those Muslims have their own way to God? Wow. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's the only way. He is the only path. And, and when we understand that he is the only path, if this gospel is factually true, if this person of Jesus truly fulfilled all the promises of old, and that he is not a liar or a lunatic, but he truly is the promised Messiah, he is the only way to the Father if we believe what he said about himself and with what, about what the prophets said of him. Now, if all that is true then we have to do what Latif did in the story that we just heard. You have to, did you hear what he said? He began to repent. He began to ask his friends, his pastor to forgive him. He began to ask God. He wept and asked God, forgive me. That's what has to happen. This gospel requires a response. And I don't mean a response that, yeah, I think that's true. Or yeah, I believe there is a God. No, no, no. That's not the right response. That doesn't do the trick. But we have, to, we have to recognize that we're desperate sinners in need of a Savior. And the only hope for us is to give our lives to Jesus, to believe in him, to repent of our sins, to receive him as our Savior and put everything in his hands. And that is where your ministry among the nations begins. It begins with the gospel. This past week in a cold swimming pool in Germantown, five of the Afghans, some of them sitting here, were baptized. Now, I tried to explain to Pastor Latif that, in that, yes, thank the Lord, yes. <clears throat> I tried to explain to him that, that all these Baptist churches have these beautiful heated swimming pools that are indoors, and that it would be so nice if we did it in a church. He said, no, 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 it won't be cold. Believe me, you know, it won't be cold in late October. And I said, okay, you know, and, and, and by the way, he said, we want to go swimming. I said, okay. <laughs> well, only five people went swimming, I think. So, uh, but next time we could do it right here, right? <laughs> but they all went in and they were freezing. Why? Because they believe this gospel. It didn't matter how cold the water was. And so they were baptized and they began the process of discipleship because this gospel is real. And you know, my wife and I believed that this gospel is real. And so we said yes to go wherever he would have us go to make his name known. And so here's a picture of, of me back in Afghanistan in 1990 climbing a mountain uh, to go in the middle of Afghanistan in Ghazni province. Some of you guys are from Ghazni, you ladies. And I was climbing a mountain, that's Chilbuktu, and I was on my way to a little village called Malastan where I knew there was a, an evangelist sharing Christ and there was a small group of believers. And um, I had to go. 
Uh, and, you know, we spent a year and a half praying for God to open doors. We were on the border in Pakistan, and, and we didn't know how we were going to. The Soviet-backed regime controlled the government at the time, and there were, there were Islamic fundamentalist freedom fighters that controlled the highways and the byways. And, 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 but, but we knew that, that, that we had to, to cross barriers with the gospel to make his name known. Just like God is going to use you to cross cultural barriers, and some of you have already been involved in volunteering and helping tutor uh, Syrian and Afghan kids, and, and, and you're crossing barriers like that mountain to share Christ with the lost. And so, you know, I began this little journey by faith when, when Ali came to my house and knocked on my door after we'd been praying for a year and a half and didn't really have a good strategy or plan. Uh, and, and he said, Mr. Mark, I know you love my people. Will you come to my village? And that's what we've been praying. And when he came, my wife and I, we fell to our knees on our, in front of our couch and we just began weeping and praying and we knew that it would be dangerous, we knew that it would be risky, we knew that we didn't know how long the trip would be and, or how we would get there, how I would get there, but we prayed and trusted God and then I began traveling with these, this scraggly group of men who were my traveling companions and they, are, they weren't Christians. One maybe was a seeker. And, uh, and I learned some lessons from these people. The first day of that trip, they took me to a money bazaar in Quetta. And have you ever been to a money bazaar, an outdoor money market? An outdoor money, these guys all know what that is, an outdoor money market. And, and so there were, there were stacks of money on the corners of the streets and, and there, were, there were big men sitting there guarding the money and there were all kinds of machine guns and rocket launchers and other weapons and people, you know, it was just all these people with all this money. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I was there and I was trying to stay hidden. And, and uh, all of a sudden, a lead disappeared. A few minutes later, he comes back. He said, Mr. Mark, give me all your money. I said, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, no, no. No, Mr. Mark, give me all your money. And I thought, wait a minute, am I being right? Is this trip ending right now? Is that what this trip was all about? Give me all your money. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Afghanistan is a dangerous place. I said, I know. And he said, no, but it's not safe for you to carry money into Afghanistan. Give me all your money. So, uh, you know, I had hidden my money in many places. And so I said, well, give me a minute. And I had to go in an alley and I found all the spots where I had money hidden and I, in fear and trembling, gave my money to Ali and, and he took my money and he disappeared and I thought, okay, well, I'll be seeing Cindy tomorrow. I'll be going back home. He came back and he gave me this scribbled on scratch, you know, piece of paper and he said, this is very important. Don't lose this piece of paper. I said, well, what is it? He said, this is your money. I said, that's not my money. Uh, you know, it, and, and uh, somewhere on it, it had Muhammad's name, <clears throat> and it promised that Muhammad in such and such a village would give me my money back. I said, right, okay. Well, I learned that's an Afghan check. Uh, so, so that was the beginning of my trip, and it was one adventure after another that I didn't understand. Now, why would I do something like that? Why would Paul 
when he heard the call of a man from Macedonia, why would he, he immediately reorder his life and begin pursuing Macedonia? Well, because this gospel is real and true, and it changes everything. <clears throat> one of the brothers here, one of the Afghan brothers here, spent six months in a Taliban prison being tortured simply because he had a Bible on his phone. Have you ever been tortured because you have a Bible app on your phone? Not even, out, not even a big one, you know, like this, but just an app on your phone. The, the, the cost is high uh, for following Jesus in these guys' world. One of the lessons I learned on that trip, I, I, when I got to the other side of that mountain, <clears throat> I came to a little village, and unfortunately when you travel, you by foot in Afghanistan, cousins join you, other friends join you, and by the time the three of us got to that village, it was over a dozen of us. That, and so I was going to meet this believer who risked his life to share Christ with these brothers. And here I was bringing all these Muslims with me, and I was very frustrated and angry with God because God didn't understand that I was going and all these Muslims were not supposed to be with me. And so... We got there and this Christian brother prepared a, a meal, literally killed the fatted calf. We were supposed to do that, Jared, by the way. We didn't kill a fatted calf for these guys. <clears throat> and, uh, and they fed us and I'm sitting there angry at God in this room with all these Muslim men and I'm complaining to him. And then I go out to the, to the men's room and the men's room, by the way, in Afghanistan is all of Afghanistan. So... <clears throat> I went out, and then I, as I was coming back, this Christian brother pulled me into another room right next to this banquet room where all these other Afghan men were, and there were women in the room, and this was the first time I'd seen women in Afghanistan, because any other time I saw them, they ran, uh, but here there were women in there, I stopped, and I said, do you want me to wait for these ladies to leave? And they said, no, these are your sisters. Wow, these are your sisters. And I was grateful that my shoes were off because my feet were on holy ground. And one of the ladies said to her husband, is it safe now? And he said, yes. And she reached into a locked trunk and she pulled out some small New Testaments uh, that they had carried across Soviet borders and Afghan Mujahideen borders and freedom fighter borders. And, and they had risked their lives carrying those Bibles into that very remote village. And, and I was just in awe as we read the word together and prayed and worshiped God. Why would they risk so much? And by the way, there was a non-believer in the room that they were witnessing to. This gospel is true. It is real. It is worth risking everything. And those believers in that remote village believed it and they gave their lives for his purposes. And that's why my wife and I said, you know, it's worth it. And you know, I didn't have a great plan and I'm guessing that you don't have a great strategy in mind for how you are gonna reach the nations in Memphis, Tennessee. How are you gonna reach Muslim people? How are you gonna evangelize them? How are you gonna share Christ with them? Uh, and all the different peoples uh, here. Well, you know, God taught me lessons 
on that little journey. I learned some things. I, I learned that, that, you know, I, when they would stop to pray, I could stop and pray. I would pull out my Bible. They would lay out their prayer mats, and I would pull out my Bible, and I would just sit on a rock, and I would, I would read the Bible. You know what? They, they'd come over to me and say, what's that book? And I'd say, it's the Injil. It's the Bible. And they'd say, oh, what does it say? I'd say, you want to know what it says? You know, this is the Bible. And I'd tell them what it says. And oh, 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 wow. And then I learned that I could actually pray in public. You know, I just said, you know, I don't know. Nobody told me whether I should do this or not. But <clears throat> before we would, we would uh, eat, I would say, can I pray? I'm an American. We do things different. We pray before the food. Is it okay? And I would put my hands the way they did. And I would pray. And I'd pray. I would make it clear that I was not praying just in the name of Jesus the prophet, but Jesus the Messiah. And I, I, you know, I just do little things like that. And people would ask me, you know, what, what is it that you're praying? Tell me about this. And so slowly people would ask me questions. And I would try to make it clear that this gospel is true. And that's why I was there. And, and, you know, so, so here's a question. What is an unreached people group? Because uh, these people come from people groups that are unreached. That means that they don't have a chance to hear the gospel without something dramatic happening in their life. You know, many of, several years ago, there was no Bible in Pashtu or Hazaragi. And this year, after Dozens of years of labor, we were able to see that these two Bibles were published this year. Praise God. The Word of God is powerful and active. And even Latif, Pastor Latif, he was reading the Bible not to follow Jesus, but to find what's wrong with it. Yet God used the powerful Word of God to turn his heart to Jesus. And he used the life of that loving pastor in India to show him how Christians truly demonstrate love. And the reason I think we don't do that, that we don't see the urgency of this, and we don't share Jesus sometimes, is because we're like the people of Israel, that they love getting the blessings of God, but they forgot the, the, the promise of God that they were to be blessed in order to be a blessing to all the nations, not just the people of Israel. And, and we forget that. We pray, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless my family. Lord, bless. But do we really pray for God to bless the nations in Memphis, Tennessee? Look at all the nations that are in Memphis. I mean, this is just a quick list to glance at. We're not going to walk through it. But all these peoples are here from east and west and north and south. And they have come for a reason. And as we turn to Scripture, we see that they came. From Acts 17, 26 and 27, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted boundaries at our periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That, why? That they should seek God and perhaps... Feel their way toward him and find him. Why is God bringing all these people to Memphis? So that they'll find him. So that you can point them to Jesus. And so as we break down this passage in Acts, we see 
It begins with this. God is the beginning and the end. From one man, he created all nations. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And he made them. And he made them and us for a purpose. And that purpose will be completed when he returns. You know, the early disciples had absolute confidence that Jesus was returning and that he was returning very soon. They knew that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. He is God. He is the author and finisher of all things. He must come again because he has to finish the task. He's the finisher. He's the author of the universe. From nothing, he created everything that is. And nothing that was created was not created by him. You see, he will not stop until the final victory is complete and all things are restored. So Jesus must return. Do you really anticipate that? Do we really live as the disciples lived with this sense of urgency that the judgment day is coming? It's coming soon. And those that don't know the truth will be judged. And then we see also in this passage that God not only orchestrates the periods or the times or history, but he disrupts these periods, these times, these histories, and even the boundaries of nations. Uh, oh God, don't you know better than to disrupt the boundaries of people? Don't you know that people want to be safe and secure and people don't want to have to leave their land thousands of miles away and come here to Memphis, Tennessee? You know, we've talked to some people that were leaving war from Ukraine or Afghanistan and, and as they're preparing to come to Memphis, they read a little bit online about Memphis and they say, whoa, 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 I thought I was coming to, a, I, I'm, I was leaving war, I didn't know I was coming to war. Uh, there's lots of gunshots there. There's lots of people. You know, even uh, some of the Afghan brothers who arrive here, they end up working in the Southland Mall. I don't know. Anybody remember the Southland Mall over on, on uh, uh, Elvis Presley Boulevard? Well, they work in these little shops there because uh, maybe nobody else wants to. And uh, I went and visited them one day. <clears throat> and I said, uh, don't y'all realize this is a dangerous place to work? Don't you want to work someplace else? They say, oh, no, 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 it's not very dangerous. You know, there's no RPGs. There's no rocket launchers. There's no landmines. It's only gunshots. That's not, you know, it's very safe. <laughs> it's relative, isn't it? Well, we need to pray for Memphis and pray for the nations that are here and recognize that God is always near. He is at work in Afghanistan in Iran, in Pakistan, in Israel, in Palestine, in Yemen. He's at work in these nations already. And, 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 but sometimes God recognizes the need to disrupt the stability in order that people will seek and find him. I wish we weren't so hard-nosed and stubborn people. But you know what? God had to do that to me to disrupt my life. And maybe he has done that to you. You know what I've discovered is that through suffering, through challenges, through difficulties, people have a choice to rebel against God or to turn to God. And, 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 and again, 
This gospel demands a response. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11 gives us some hints as to how you and I can make a difference among these people. And we're just going to slide through them. Let's read this quickly. The end of all things is at hand. Again, it begins with this sense of urgency. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded <clears throat> for the sake of your prayers. You know, we, we, we tend to reverse that. We say, pray so that you'll be self-controlled and sober-minded. But no, it says, it, it turns that upside down. It says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We'll look at what that means. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another and without grumbling. We tend to like to show hospitality, but we grumble a little bit, don't we? We have to cook that pie or clean up the house to invite someone over. But as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So let's walk through this quickly. Number one, let's remember, as we were reminded in the previous passage, that Jesus is coming soon. There's an urgency and there is a timeline. We don't know the timing But we know that the opportunity for responding to the gospel is limited. And before long, judgment day is coming. Jesus will return and complete all that he has begun to restore everything to himself. And second, we need to pray. Let's just sort of of break down. What does this mean? Pray with a sober mind with self-control, with an obedient life. Well, we pray with an obedient life and with a sober mind, with reverence and intentionality because God wants to use our prayers. And, and, And he intends for our prayer to be the strategy. You see, when I went into Afghanistan on that first trip, my only real strategy was prayer and listening and learning. I had no great scheme, no great plan. And I tell you, if prayer works in the instability of Afghanistan, the instability of Afghanistan, or way deep in the mountains, it'll work right here in your ministry too. Believe me, it will. Even if you're working among a people group, an unreached people in Memphis that you don't speak the language of. Third, to reach the nations effectively, the church must love each other earnestly and deeply. One of the greatest testimonies that people who don't know Jesus see is you and I loving each other. Husbands and wives loving each other. Church members loving each other. We have got to get it right here inside these walls, inside these fellowships, inside these Bible studies. We must Love one another. That is a witness. John, 1 John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That is so important that we love one another as brothers and sisters. Fourth, hospitality. Generous hospitality Not hospitality with grumbling, but generous hospitality is something that the Afghans have taught me, and I'm still trying to learn. You know what hospitality does? It opens the doors to international ministry everywhere around the world. 
here, there, and everywhere. Hospitality is perhaps the most important method of breaking down cultural barriers to the gospel. It's an art, it's not a science, it's different in every culture, but hospitality is key. If you would invite one of these brothers or sisters to their homes, you would be blessed. And that is the way they view hospitality. When they extend hospitality, they are receiving a blessing. And, and that is what opens doors. So practice hospitality. Fifth, discover and exercise your gifts. This church is the place to discover and exercise those gifts. I'm sure that you are in that process or you have begun that and you're living out the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You know he's given you another gift? He's given you, the next point is the gospel, number six. He has given you this gift of the gospel. It is the greatest gift. It leads people from death to life. Dead people come alive because of this gospel. And so unashamedly, no matter how much you serve the unreached, no matter how much you serve your neighbor, you have to be prepared to tell them your testimony and the gospel. Do you practice telling your testimony? Do you practice sharing the gospel? I'm sure in this church you do. Another gift is your life. Do you pour out your life among men? That's what Jesus did. We lay ourselves upon the cross daily, ready to serve him no matter what he calls us to do. Seventh, we serve using those gifts by the strength of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, the power is in his spirit and the spirit is in you. We all want to see the power of God exercised. And it comes starting with the gospel, discipleship, walking with Jesus. You know, I'm 65 years old and I'm still trying to learn that the most important lesson is to be a disciple. I have to be a faithful disciple and I have to walk in a, a lifestyle of obedience and discipleship if God is going to show his power in me. That's the same for a baby Christian or an old Christian. We want the power of God and through his presence, he pours himself out among the peoples through us. Finally, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 7 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, no matter what ministry it is we do, no matter what sermon we preach, no matter what, what we invest in, it's really not about us, is it? It's about God and his glory among all nations. So why is God disrupting the events of this world, the periods and times? Why is he bringing all these people here? Well, I know one thing. I know that he wants to use us to make his name known and his glory fill the hearts and minds of these peoples that are here and he wants to use you to do so. So go and live your gospel-centered life in Memphis among the nations.